Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? You know, I'm just going to give you the same answer that all the administrators from all the university keep giving us when we ask, is there going to be a football season? Coomer, I don't know. One thing I do know, though, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Indeed, it is. Hummer, I'm not going to waste any time today. Today, we're joined by Justin Williams of The Athletic to talk about all things Bearcat basketball and football. Lots of Bearcat news to go over. Bearcats, book a game against the Louisville Cardinals for this coming season. Bearcats football continues to dominate on the recruiting trail. Unprecedented recruiting classes for Luke Fickle and his and his staff. Um, Hummer, without further ado, let's get straight into it. Lots of topics covered here. Great conversation from The Athletic, Justin Williams. We are now joined by Justin Williams of The Athletic, everyone's favorite UC Bearcats reporter. Justin, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me back on. How's it going? Going well. Going well, all things considered. Uh, just appreciating the small things in life. Had a lot of good outdoor time yesterday with the good weather. What are you doing yeah. to keep yourself busy during the uh, the last several weeks, Justin? Well, you know, I guess certainly fortunate, better than unfortunate, but uh, the Bearcats have not taken much time off during the quarantine. You know, when all this started, it was like I was actually, I mean, two hours away from heading to the airport to go to Dallas for the conference tournament. And like, thinking I probably wouldn't be going to the airport to go to Dallas for the conference tournament, but my, you know, my bags were packed. That was what I was <clears throat> scheduled to do when all of this kind of happened. And after that, I'm a little bit worried. And I think everyone, you know, involved in sports was about, all right, so what are we going to do with no sports? And uh, I think a lot of people have made it work, but the, the Bearcats have not made it hard on me. That's for sure. So I, I appreciate that, that uh, even, even during this, very unique, abnormal time. They've been they've been making news. Well, obviously, we we follow the Bearcats really closely, so we see all the updates coming from basketball and football with recruiting and, and new scheduling. Just give me some context with other you know folks you work at with, at the athletic. Is it the same for other universities? Like, is this is it as you know? Uh, is there as much breaking news as, as there seems to be in Cincinnati with other universities? Uh, for basketball, I I think it was it's probably been pretty similar for bigger programs just because of the way the portal kind of went crazy right after that season ended. So even if it's a program that didn't have you know a ton of spots open, they probably either had people leave or you know there's been speculation about things. So I, I think for the most part, it's been busy enough. Football, I mean, there's definitely recruiting going on, and if you're a place like Ohio State or you know Clemson or something like that, you're always going to have you know. Ohio State's getting 2022 recruits. So like there, you know, a place like that's always going to have stuff going on. But in terms of the kind of quantity and quality of commitments that you see has been landing on the football side, I, it's not unprecedented. It's not like they're the only school doing that right now, but it's, it's certainly kind of in that top tier of, of college programs. Um, you know, they're in the top 20 in terms of 
rankings from 247 Sports and stuff like that. And I certainly think you could put them in, term, in the top 10, 15, 20 of what colleges, what college football programs have done since all of this started. Well, I have to say, seeing what John Brandon's doing on the recruiting trail, bringing in uh, Rap, bringing in DeJulius, and then obviously the recruiting success of Luke Fickle is unprecedented. You know, the names he's bringing in, the rankings of the class, like you just alluded to. So before we get into the details of that, I got to ask you with how, how often you talk to people in the athletic department, how are we feeling about an upcoming season? Like, do you have you heard any rumblings or whispers about the likelihood of actually playing football and even basketball next year? Yeah, you know, it's something I've asked about. Um, I, I talked to John Cunningham a couple of weeks ago, the AD, when the, when the soccer, you know, the uh, men's soccer team got canceled, um, disbanded, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's the question everyone's asking everyone. You know, it's it's kind of frustrating because the, the smart, sensible answer and the one you get all the time is, I don't know. And it's just because no one knows what it's going to look like. You know, some way or another, they're going to have to play football just for financial reasons. Now, whether that means it starts on time in the fall and there's no fans in the stands, whether it starts next spring, um, whether it starts in the fall and then they have to take a break and it comes back in the spring, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I, I do know that they're putting in contingency plans for all of these scenarios. I mean, they're, th- they're thinking about all of these as possible options, but I don't think anyone's really leaning towards one as a likely scenario just because they don't have any idea yet. But financially, if there's no college football, then it's going to be kind of catastrophic just in terms of college sports in general. And because of that, because football starts ideally a little bit sooner than basketball, I think that will help kind of figure out basketball in terms of, all right, so if we're doing this for football, how does that make sense for basketball? I think if you're looking at football starting in spring, it's kind of hard for me to imagine basketball starting on time. And not that anyone said that to me, that's just, if, if that's one of the contingency scenarios, how could you not be able to start football until February or whatever, but you're able to start basketball November 7th or whatever it is. That seems unlikely to me, but football, I think is definitely kind of the first priority because it's first on the calendar, but also because financially it's, it's going to make the biggest impact. And I think because of that, I honestly don't know how much people have thought about basketball. Maybe at a school that doesn't have, you know, I'm sure Xavier or some of the Big East schools are thinking about it, or even like a Duke or something like that where, where basketball is such a big deal. Um, UConn, which obviously doesn't care about football anymore. But um, <laughs> I, I, in terms of, you know, I think most for the most part, schools are thinking, can we start football in the fall? And if not, what does that look like? And they're still kind of at that contingency plan stage as opposed to a making a a hard final decision stage. Okay. So they're thinking about it. They're making plans. And when you say financially important, we're saying that football and the ticket sales associated with football is essentially bankrolling athletic departments. Is that the, Uh, no, or is it more than that? TV. TV. Gotcha. TV. I mean, the losing out on, you know, game day sales of tickets, season tickets, you know, if they're going to have to refund season ticket holders there, their deposits and, and their season ticket, you know, money, that's going to be a big hit. If they're going to lose on game day concessions and, and all that stuff, that would be bad. But it's the TV money from the conferences. You know, the when they talk about the Big Ten getting $50 million a year each program, that's TV money. Um, and even, you know, so the American is way less than that, but they're still in line to get, I think, close to $7 million 
each, you know, UC is in line to get close to $7 million from their, their TV deal with the American, with ESPN. And so because of that, even if it's playing college football with no fans in the stands, I, I think, you know, that is an okay scenario because they can still probably collect all of the TV money. I don't know how all that, you know, I'm sure they have contracts written in different, they're going to have to figure out like if we play less games or if, if things are moved around, how does that change the money side of things? But in terms of, you know, if they don't play college football and they don't bring any of that TV money in, that's where you start getting into how do we fund athletic departments at every level of college athletics. And so even if it ends up being, we're playing in November with, you know, a few media there and teams on both sidelines, but that's it. I I think they're going to work to try and make that happen just because they can still put it on TV. Gotcha. So I, I feel like with college sports, I had been hearing more about how important attendance was, and maybe it is more important than professional sports, but, um, I, that's interesting. I, I didn't know if they were actually considering the no fan route, and I, I imagine they are if the TV contracts are, are still the make or break. Um, well, I'm going to move on from, to a happier topic, and that's the fact that the Bearcat basketball team um, announced that, or I guess Chris Mack and John Brandon announced together via Seinfeld gifts that the, Bear, the Bearcats would be hosting the Cardinals come November 13th this coming season. Um Look, did this, let's just be frank, did this get booked? Is this why John Brandon lured Chris Mack out to a vacation with his family? <laughs> Was it to lock in this game, this home and home for the next, next couple of seasons? Um, so the, the, it's good that you bring this up. Uh, so I don't think many people realize this, obviously, because John hadn't been coaching here. Uh, the Brandons and the Max have been friends for a long time. They've actually vacationed together for years. Um, I think he realized when, you know, he's got, they both have kids that are on social media. And I think at some point they're like, all right, people are going to see that we're vacationing together. We can't really hide that. Their wives are very good friends. And so I think they were kind of just like, all right, I'm going to deal with whatever blowback comes from it. Now, if we were in a world where, you know, the John Brandon in his first season struggled to like a fifth place AAC finish and they weren't going to make the tournament. I think you're, you're going to get a lot of more animosity from UC fans when these TikTok videos started showing up. But uh, I think what he was able to do this season, people were kind of like, okay, Max at Louisville, you know. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Yeah, John had a good season. We'll allow it. From what I understand, you know, and I, I, I was not um, – at, at the vacation house. Actually, they were in two separate houses. Um, so I, I don't think they were like necessarily shacking it together, but I was not there. On they the were, beach. they were sharing King beds. I heard, I mean, that's, I thought you, I was in an article you wrote. <laughs> um, I, I would have loved to have done the on in Florida with, with Chris Mack and John Brandon's family. So I, I was not invited to, to do that story. Um, I, I heard at some point kind of earlier in the, I guess, off season, like, I know because John and Chris are vacationing together, everyone's going to assume that there's going to be like a Louisville UC and it's not going to happen. I I got that from someone um, who I trust that that probably wasn't going to be the case. And then it kind of just went away. And uh, I I will say whatever, what day was that? That that got announced Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't, Sunday this week. They all all blend together. They do. But I got a little, I got a heads up from someone um, who I trust that said just, pay attention to Twitter later today. Um, and it was, it was basketball related. I knew that much, but I had no idea other than that. And I had no inkling whatsoever that 
this was coming, the, the UC Louisville thing. And so when I didn't even see the Chris Mack tweet when it first came out, it came out a few minutes earlier, but when I saw Brandon respond to it, I was like, well, I think this is real because someone kind of gave me a heads up to keep an eye on things. Um, I don't know that it was like hashed out at the beach though, to be honest, what I think, I don't know this. I have not um, been told this, you know, by, by John or, or certainly by Chris Mack, but the sense I get is that maybe they spent all this time together. They came back, all these coaches are bored out of their minds um, and kind of the normal process of things is all thrown off. And I think maybe that time at the beach might've helped kind of solidify this and bring this along. But I don't think it was like on the last day that they left the beach, that this was nailed down. I think it maybe was a product of that time spent together and something that was decided after the fact. See, now I'm personally picturing them both on the beach on Twitter, on Twitter going through and be like, Oh my God, you see all these fans. They're all saying that we need to be playing each other. This would, this would be great. This would be great. You know what? I have an idea, though. Just so they don't think we did it here, let's wait a couple weeks, maybe a month, and then we'll we'll release this on Twitter, and we'll have our kids think of some really cool thing to do. Then the kids come in, they bring in their idea for TikTok, and they both go, hmm, Seinfeld. And the kids go, what's Seinfeld? <laughs> now, they have, now, they have all this, now they have all this free time to watch Seinfeld. I do know John loves Seinfeld, uh, as do I, which um, is, is a big plus for him in my book. Uh, I think you're giving their – they don't have that much patience. Come on. It's just, that was like two weeks. I honestly think it's a surprise they, they went this long without having to announce anything like that. I, I, have, I will ask. I will try and get the real story. I don't know if I will ever get it. Um, but, yeah, I would be interested to know the exact kind of machinations for how this came together because – I think that was the obvious jump that everyone made when they were together. And, and I was told pretty early on, like, no, that's not going to happen. And clearly that was, it did end up happening. So how we got from there to there, I would, I would love to know. And hopefully I can find out. Well, it should have happened. This is, this is a rivalry that, that goes back decades and it's been way too long. And I'm, I don't know. I guess that's why we're talking about it. We're really excited that we're playing Louisville again. doesn't matter if we're in the same conference, we should be playing every year Every other every other year switching or, or twice a year. I don't really care. We should be playing Louisville in some form or fashion in both football and basketball. So now I'm waiting to see that, that shoe drop that we're going to be playing them in non-conference games too. I mean, I think you're right to some extent that I think Brandon and Mac, both being from this area, understood, you know, even though neither of them had been with Cincinnati before, I think they both understood the importance of that rivalry. And I think the biggest hindrance was the fact that they're – their friends that they're friendly because I know you know Brandon's talked about I don't think Brandon really has much desire to play Dayton because he's really close with Anthony Grant who he coached under and I kind of assumed it was the same thing I didn't I didn't think it had anything I think they both probably thought this makes a lot of sense program wise I think they were maybe a little hesitant because of the relationship between the two but whether it was boredom or scheduling or whatever I think the the rivalry and and the fact that it made sense regionally and everything Coaches are always looking for that. Where's a place where we can play and our fans can travel to and then, you know, also have a home and home with it. And so I think it just made too much sense for, for them to ignore it. And they wanted they were bored and wanted something to do with Seinfeld gifts, probably. <laughs> so if football is called the keg and nails, what do we what do we call the basketball rivalry? <laughs> I think I put it at some point in some whether it was like a mailbag or something that it should be like the the TikTok Ohio River rivalry or something like that, you know. Sponsored. It was it was, it was born of TikTok um, on 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 a family vacation. So I you know I don't know. We'd have to maybe look into like 
royalties and trademarks and stuff like that. But if that ends up happening, I you know, I feel like I should get credit for that. Yeah. How many times are they going to show that at a family TikTok that they did on the beach? I mean, that's just going to be played on loop and uh, I'll never get tired of it. So <laughs> some more news last week, uh, our beloved Prince Toyambi entered the transfer portal. I can't say it's all that surprising. You know, there hasn't been any official word uh, on his health for quite a while. And we found out that I guess UC technically did not clear him to play basketball, but he is looking to continue his Bearcat, or I'm sorry, his basketball career. My question is not so much that decision, but what's the next move? Do you have any uh, any word on if there's another chess piece to be moved at this point in terms of a player filling up that roster spot? Yeah, I would expect them to to fill it for um, for the 2020-21 season. Um, you know, I know back when kind of this whole uh, off season started, and there was some uncertainty about Prince, but you know, talking to people, knowing it was a possibility he might not, you know, be cleared by the university just because of how serious the the situation was. I had kind of been told, and I reported this that you know they wanted a guard, they wanted um, a big man, preferably a, a transfer big man, someone with, you know, some experience and then a young developmental big. Now, whether that meant like one of these freshmen that go in the portal, you know, and they were able to develop them or just an, in, an incoming freshman, um, at a high school. And, you know, so they've hit that so far. They got rap who's, you know, a fifth year grad transfer. They got the Julius at guard who I know they hope is going to be eligible right away, but you know, they're going to get a multi-year guard out of him. And so I would expect them to kind of go after a, uh, a big that's, you know, a, a developmental big, whether that's an incoming freshman or, or someone they pull out of the portal. I think if they could get someone out of high school, they would, they would love to do that, you know, and, what, I, I'm not going to, it's hard to say whether they would be able to register him. You know, I, I think that depends on injuries going into the year or, or how things look that we just have no idea what to look like right now. But I think if they could get someone and everything is healthy and, and all works out and they're able to maybe register a guy or just not have to rely on him and bring him along, you know, slowly, maybe the way they did Jeremiah Davenport last year. I think that's what they would love to have. Um, certainly that they would keep it and stash it and roll it over. But the, the sense I get is that they would really like to try and use it. And, you know, knowing that they weren't sure what the final decision was on Prince, they knew it was a possibility. So I know they've been looking and thinking about that, that potential that they wouldn't, they would have an open scholarship. Do you have any, uh, how to, how to, how do we phrase this? Do you have any leads on who they might be attempting to, to fill that roster spot with? No, I mean, nothing concrete. Uh, I mean, you hear different names, but it's so, it happens so quick too. Like just thinking about everyone was so fit, focused on Jalen Tate, for example, um, in the portal. And as all of that's happening, David Julius enters his name. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like on the radar until they missed on Tate. And then it's like, all of a sudden they're like, well, okay, they're looking at this, the Julius kid, but he's got a bunch of good offers. He has, you know, he has some strong ties elsewhere. And five days later, they get him. Um, and so it's that stuff moves quick, I guess is, is kind of the point. So, you know, you hear something one day and by the next morning that kid's committed somewhere else. And so, you know, I wouldn't want to throw any names out cause it's all pure speculation. It's nothing I feel good about reporting, but I, I know they're looking and I know they've been prepared for it. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll throw a quick plug to Brett Stein and the team at Bearcat journal. He's come on our podcast a couple of times. He does awesome stuff on recruiting. So if you do want Wild speculation, head over there, because there's uh, <laughs> typically pretty good recruiting information. 
Um, you Brett does Brett does great work despite having to work for for Chad Brendel, who's just you know a, a train wreck of a boss, I'm sure. But uh, you know, all, no, all, all those guys do great work over there. You posted a, a great article this week about the recruitment of DeJulius. What resonated with him uh, with regard to the coaching staff? How they how they wooed him, for lack of a better word. And one quote that stood out was him referring to John Brandon as a basketball guru. What does he mean by that? Is it John Brandon's ability to demonstrate how he's being used in his offense, or is it just this guy's knowledge of basketball? Because he this past season, he did talk about basketball during press conferences in a, in a different way than I'm used to hearing from Cincinnati coaches. Yeah, no, I think it's both the things you said. And I think, you know, the, the knowledge of basketball is what allows him to so well connect with players in terms of here's how you fit. Um, yeah, I had a chance to talk to both Rap and to Julius, uh, and, and both of them, I was, it, it became pretty obvious that what really sold them was they, you know, part John Brandon kind of took front um, as lead recruiter on their recruitment once they went into the portal. And that's, you know, some schools are able to do that. Some coaches are able to do that more than others, but that's not necessarily like a totally common thing. And so I think that resonated with them that the head coach was really pushing for both of them. And then the other part is they have these all staff zoom calls, which, you know, normally you would get them on campus for a visit and sit them in a room and do this, but because of where we're at, we have to do it all on zoom. But both of those guys just kind of talked about how blown away they were by the presentation that the staff gave them. And that obviously starts with John Brandon because they talked about how they were shown player comps. You know, DeJulia said that they showed them video practice. John Brandon tapes every practice, kind of similar to the way football coaches do, and showed them, like, here's some of the guard development we do in practice. Uh, DeJulia specifically talked about how much they talked outside of basketball. Like, you know, here's, here's kind of a school aspect. Here's a personal aspect in terms of life and connection stuff. They both talked about assistant coach Jason G and the faith spiritual aspect that, that, you know, I think was important to both of those guys specifically. Um, but I, John's understanding of all of that, of, of how basketball works and how he can cater it to a certain player, but also just how it works in their lives. I think that's what you get when you get from him. And that's why when you hear him talk about basketball, sometimes it comes across as like robotic almost, or just like, you know, he can't, can't shut his brain off in terms of thinking about it from an X's and O's standpoint. And that's just who he is. You know, as a coach, he, he's super intense. He's always kind of thinking about it. He's not lying when he says like all he does is, you know, watch film and reruns of Seinfeld, I guess. Um, so well, er, early in the season, his- early in the season, he had uh, one of these Montgomery in post game recaps. It wasn't a post game recap, but I forget what they call it. They get together and they ask the coach, coach questions. What, what was it called? The coach's radio show. Coach's radio show. And uh, Terry, this is early in the season. Obviously, Terry Nelson is just getting to know John probably for the most part. They haven't been together that many, even a year at that point. And the way Terry asked a question was, and I'm sure you got a number for everything. I'm sure you got a number for the number for this. You know, it was just interesting to see Terry react to how John thinks about things. Like, you, you really do. He's measuring everything. He's thinking about it in terms of making smart decisions based on data. But it is interesting to think, like, how does he – it's good to see he can actually communicate that to players because I'm not sure how interested, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids are or young men are at just taking in those kind of, that kind of data all the time. He does a good job of making it competitive, of catering it to their competitiveness because I know, like, he'll give them numbers at halftime, before games, like points per possession or, you know, offensive efficiency numbers. 
and I, I've heard from these, they do not care. They don't understand what those numbers mean for the most part. Um, you know, like Keith Williams doesn't care what his points per possession is. But if you tell Keith Williams, I need your points per possession, you know, when you're on the floor to be at this number or better, okay, that makes sense to them. Because now that's like a goal in the weight room. I'm going to bench press this or I'm going to, you know, score this many points or something like that. So he does a good job of taking kind of a number that's a little bit esoteric that they don't really care about or understand. Um, and first of all, making them understand it because they do understand it a lot better towards the end of the year. I know when we first started talking to them about it, some of their eyes were kind of glazed over because part of the too, like we're out there saying like, what does this mean? And they're like, I don't know. And um, throughout the course of the season, they really started to understand and grasp why these numbers were important and what they meant. But he also does a good job of saying, I don't need you to understand exactly how, you know, how we calculate this number or get to this number. I need you to get to this number. And they understand what they have to do, how they have to play to get to that number. Uh, and so I think he does a good job of, of making them care about something that otherwise it's just going to feel like a statistics class to them. How does that differ from the football side of recruiting? Like what is, what is the big, the big draw, line in the sand between Luke Fickle's style and John Brandon's style? I think specifically for, you know, Brandon, basketball is a lot more about system. Um, and you can certainly kind of pitch that in football, whether it's the type of offense you run or, you know, I know when UC is recruiting offensive linemen, they're talking about how it's an offensive line driven program. And, you know, they want you to be nasty and get your hands on guys and all that kind of stuff. But just in terms of, you know, here's our system and here's how you fit in it. I think it caters lends itself a lot more to basketball than to football. Uh, with football, I, I think they just do a great job. Um, building relationships uh, and because there's so many more spots available and honestly players available in football, I think they're able to maybe a little bit more, you know, football wise, go after the players. Hey, I know this guy fits what we want to do as a cornerback or a wide receiver or whatever. And they're going to explain that to them. Like I guarantee you when they're recruiting Corey Kiner, they're showing them video, you know, highlights of Mike Warren and saying like, Hey, this is you. We're going to, we're going to do all this stuff with you. But I also think that, because they recruit so regionally um, and because they're, they're trying to get in so early, especially with these local kids, it's relationship based. And they're saying, you know, Hey, this is the team. This is the brotherhood. There's a hundred something guys on this team. You know, here's, here's where you fit in, but also here's all the things we can do, um, you know, to, to get you to the NFL. But it, it's also kind of a, in doing all that, they're, they're building this comfort level. And there's definitely, um, you know, analogies there, there's similarities between both. Everybody wants to play at the next level, whether that's in the NBA or overseas or NFL or wherever. Uh, so, so all sides are talking about that and they're talking about, here's why you work in our system from an on field on court standpoint. Uh, but from the sense I, it certainly feels like football is kind of pushing that relationship building part a little bit more, whereas basketball is pushing like, here's how you fit on the floor. And again, I don't, it's kind of shades of both. Maybe football leans a little bit more towards that and basketball leans a little bit more towards the other, but it's all built up in there. And at its core recruiting is relationship based. You're going somewhere where you feel comfortable with a coach, whether that's as an on-court coach or as, you know, kind of just an off-court mentor, uh, you're going to a place where your parents feel comfortable with you going. Uh, so it all has to do with, with that kind of aspect of it. Well, it, it certainly seems like with the success that, you know, with the transfer portal, I think we could all agree that that was a successful, uh, a successful portal for the Bearcats this year. I think from the football side of things, that's obviously we're in a top 25 recruiting class, I guess, is what people are ranking us, which 
uh, th- if you're not saying that's a success, I, I don't know. It really seems to me that the coaches now understand what the fuck Zoom is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was certainly, and I, you know, I should say, I'm, I'm sure some knew what it was before all this started. I at least had one coach ask me um, kind of offhand what it was. I think they've navigated it really well. I, I talked to, uh, I was working on my state of the program preview, which we do every year for football, which I think will come out next month or this month. Now we're in May, come out in a couple of weeks. But in talking to fickle for that, he said, like, everyone thinks they have a good plan when, in, in terms of this stuff, you know, everyone's sitting at home thinking like, yeah, our zoom plan or, you know, our meeting plan or whatever. This is great. Um, you don't really know cause we've never done it before, but I think you just have to, that's where it comes into the trust. You have to trust your coaches, you know, your position coaches, because they're dealing a lot more granular with certain players. You have to trust your players because you're not seeing them in person. You don't know what they're doing when they're off the Zoom chat, um, whereas is, that's the case when they're on campus too, but you have a little bit more access to them. So I think both coaches have done a, a good job of kind of like formulating how they want their staff to handle this. Uh, but yeah, I think the truth is that no one totally knows at any program across the country because no one's ever had to do this before. I just want to point out though, that Hummer, we are throwing glass, we're throwing stones at glass houses when we, when you consider the fact that we're talking to Justin on Skype, which has clearly lost the video conferencing wars. Um, and we're sitting here still using it. Like we've got an AOL account. Uh, (laughs) Justin, you mentioned the the culture of recruiting and the fact that every program has a plan. I think the the comparison I, I like I have in my head with this is any company you go to in the business world, every leader will sit here and talk about company culture. Here's what we do for our employees. And they, they all speak the same language. They all say the exact same words. And it really comes down to execution and being able to have it trickle down. What has what's Luke Fickle done? that's allowed that to happen because he's clearly not just talking about it. They're actually delivering and you see them, you know, your article about the football program was talking about, you know, being competitive with regard to like social media, you know, digital imaging and they use TikTok. They had a TikTok competition. How has he gotten buy-in from all the assistants and how has he gotten this to, to really, I guess, the cult, his culture to permeate the program? Permeate. How has this culture, how has he gotten his culture to permeate the program, Justin? Thank you. No problem. Um, first of all, I, I think it, it just, it definitely starts with, with Fickle, and, and I'll, I'll talk about football first, and I think you can say it for basketball, too. I mean, Luke Fickle is a, is a quote-unquote football guy. That's his life. You know, he's, he spent his life in Ohio playing and coaching and caring about football. And so I think the biggest thing is when he came to UC, first of all, he understood how his recruiting experience and expertise while working at Ohio State was going to translate to UC really well. And he was right. Um, but he also cares about it. You know, his Luke Fickle has taken a lot of things, a lot of his coaching on field coaching philosophy from Jim Trestle. Uh, but I think the biggest thing he learned and took from Urban Meyer was the recruiting aspect. You know, Urban Meyer totally remade Ohio State from a recruiting standpoint. And Urban's big thing was always, if they're keeping score, we want to win. So if they're ranking players and keeping track of stars, we want to win in that. And Luke definitely has taken that and, and really championed it at UC too. So first of all, it's something he cares about, and he makes that known on his staff. If it's something he cares about, then it's something you better care about. He also has just done a really good job of hiring. I mean, Marcus Freeman, and, and I'm not just saying this, you know, I, I've talked to other people in the industry, like might be one of the best recruiters in college football. Gino Gadouli, who 
sure, he's a Cincinnati graduate and a, and a UC legend and Hall of Famer and all that stuff. Unbelievable recruiter. Uh, you look at the success they've had in like the Chicago area. Mike Denbrock has been recruiting, recruiting Chicago for years, going back to his time at Notre Dame, where you're, you know, getting top tier athletes. Um, the new guys they hire, so like, all right, Mike Mickens again, UC graduate, but he does a great job recruiting Detroit. Gets a guy like Ahmad Gardner. He leaves and goes to Notre Dame because of how much success he's had. Perry Eliano is the guy they bring in to replace him. He was the defensive coordinator at Bowling Green over Mike Mickens when he was the cornerback coach there. Like, you know, all these things they're doing, they're they're hiring the right guys. And you're not going to have 100%. You're not going to hit on everyone. But they've had a lot of success in terms of, you know, assistant coaches uh, under Luke Fickle. Brian Mason, you know, a guy who has worked with Fickle as a GA for, you know, when he was at Ohio State before before coming here with him to Cincinnati. Um, So he understands what Brian is all about. Brian understands what Fickle is all about. And you're starting to see – on field and off field, a coach like Brad Mason being able to impact the the program. So all of that stuff is important, and that just is a lot of credit to Luke Fickle understanding what it takes to be a successful football coach. And then it, that again all trickles down into the social media stuff and the recruiting department and stuff. I'm not entirely sure how much input Luke Fickle has when he says like I want this person to run our social media because he'll be honest with you that he doesn't totally understand how TikTok works and things like that. But he hires the people that make those decisions. He he knows what he wants, and those people know what he's looking for in a program. So when they come to him and say, "Hey, you know, Kelsey Sharkey is like the best, you know, video social media person we could possibly hire," Luke says, "Okay, that sounds great." And then she comes in and kills it and does a great job. Uh, so it it definitely is a leadership thing. And you know, Fickle told me this before. Like he kind of hates using the culture word because it's gotten so attached to college football and honestly to him specifically in terms of what he's built, but it's really just being, being a good leader. And that's why all these programs, that's why Michigan state and Florida state and, you know, Baylor and Arkansas or whoever, that's why they want to hire Luke Fickle because they're seeing him do it. Um, And there's a, certainly a regional part of it that he's from Ohio. And so it works here, but I think you can see why it would translate so well. And in the same way, I, honestly, I think you're seeing, starting to see it with basketball. You know, if you look at the guys they brought in this year, Mike Saunders, the Madsen brothers, coaches kids, um, Tari Eason, obviously he's like ridiculously talented, but just kind of the competitive level that John Brand has talked about from him, that jumps out. The the two grad transfers they brought, or the tra- transfers they brought in, I, I'm not kidding, when I talked to Rap and to Julius, it was like talking to 35-year-olds. You know, like they're just so mature. They understand who they are as people. They understand what they want out of out of basketball um, leadership. Like those are all things that you saw a little bit of it last year from Brandon. But now that he's had his first kind of full season, full off season to to go after the culture and the type of recruits that he wants, you're starting to see these themes and identities and cultures come up. And uh, I think that's what's the most encouraging for both football and basketball is you can look at what the coaches are doing and understand how they want it to translate to the floor. And so far from both of them, we've, we've kind of seen good returns on the field and on the court too. Right. So Fickle's got, he's clearly dialed into the specifics. That social media example is great. So he's not, he doesn't know who to hire or what's cool on social media or what is good, but he is aware that it's incredibly important in paying attention to the results. So if it was something that was lacking and maybe you have an example of an area where he saw, he came in and saw you know, hey, the program is really lacking in this one specific area, and it may not be something you think a head coach is paying attention to. Is there anything where you, like, he came in and said, hey, that's got to get better from the get-go? 
One of the things I know they talk about, it seems like such a small thing. Uh, this is something Brady Collins, the strength coach, has talked about, like decorating the locker room, decorating the weight room with like cool graphics and posters and pictures and stuff like that. And it seems like such like, you know, I, I don't know, like, okay, is a kid really going to, you know, pick a school based on the way that the weight room was decorated? But then you forget, like, these are 16 and 17-year-old kids that are making these decisions. So, yeah, when you bring a 17-year-old kid into the weight room and it's, like, all black and there's lights and there's cool posters on the wall, that's going to resonate with them. And those are little, very small things that, okay, it might it's not going to make a kid's final decision. But if a kid is like, oh, you know, I played for Colerain and I have, you know, these SEC and these ACC schools, you know, looking at me, but uh, it'd be kind of cool to play for UC, stay home. I'm going to go visit campus and see what it's about. And, and you can then get them with all of these, like, here's a cool video. Here's a cool, you know, locker room setup. The stuff that they're doing with, like, you know, I think I put this on Twitter, the, the pictures that they take, which they had all these kids on campus for visits, and they're taking pictures of, like, these red smoke, yeah, um, I've seen you know, those. whatever, yeah. flyers, lighters. Like, okay, that's – it's a, you know, stupid little thing you think. But, like, then when you see them posted on social media, you're like, actually, this is pretty cool. And if you're a 16, 17-year-old kid, you're probably thinking like, all right, if they're doing this kind of cool stuff for me on a visit, I bet they're doing a lot of cool stuff for me otherwise. And again, it doesn't trump the, the football stuff or you know, the location or, or whatever. But if you can add all those little extra elements in, especially when you're not a Ohio State or a power conference, you know, quote unquote school, that's what makes a difference. I'm actually, I was glad that I didn't identify with those photos, those social media photos you're alluding to with the smoke and the, and the cool chains and stuff. It's like, because if I don't think it's, if I don't think it's cool, generic mid thirties guy doesn't think it's cool. It's probably a good sign, right? It's resonating with the, with the generation who it's supposed to resonate with and not a washed up dude. Um, Let's talk real football a little bit. And I know it's hard because there's no practice happening. We didn't have a spring game. You wish you would have seen some things at this point. At the end of last season, Ritter was struggling with an injury. Ben Bryant comes in in that first Memphis game and actually gets the start. And then Ritter gets the job back for that final game against Memphis. Obviously, neither game resulted in a win. And the coaching staff was pretty emphatic that Ritter is their guy. But there were a lot of rumblings, you know, if we're just looking at like the fan base on Twitter. Folks weren't too pleased with what they saw from Ritter toward the end of the season. And I'm not really sure how much that of that was injury-related. Do you see any scenario in which there could be a quote-unquote QB controversy heading into next season? I mean, I don't know if controversy is the right word. They want it to be a competition. That's um, better word. And this is, um, yeah, I mean, this is something Fickle talks about. And, you know, a lot of coaches say, like, yeah, we want competition in every position. But then when it comes to, you know, quarterback or your star running back or whatever, maybe they're they're not as serious about it. I mean, Fickle is, he wants it to be a competition. He wants these two guys to battle every day. And, you know, fortunately for him, Ben and Desmond have a really good relationship. So, uh, you know, I think if that wasn't the case, then it maybe gets a little bit more problematic. But that's also a credit to the, all right, Fickle didn't recruit um, uh, Desmond Ritter, but he's been there his entire career now. And he recruited Ben Bryant, so he understands the type of competitive players these guys are. And he understands that he can send them out in a quarterback competition and know that he's going to get the best out of them as opposed to like one of them being pissed off or, you know, something like that. So no, I, I personally think it will take a lot for Ben to win the job. Um, and that's just because of what Ritter has done, you know, his first two seasons as a starter. Like I, I think he's won 21 games um, in, in those two seasons. 
that's that's pretty remarkable and it's pretty hard to yeah he struggled down the stretch but it's hard to say like okay you're 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 at even level going into this competition i think he definitely has kind of the the, the starting quarterback job penciled in um if he steps back a little bit or slips a little bit and, and ben has a really good camp assuming we get a camp uh, I, I think then you can start talking about it but it, just looking at kind of starting the season if everyone stays healthy if everyone kind of stays the same track you think it is i would expect Ritter to win that job, but they certainly want him to have to work for it, and they want Ben to push him for it. And if Ben does win the job for whatever reason, I know they feel comfortable with that. Uh, and so, looking at it from that standpoint, knowing you have a guy like Evan Prater coming in, I think you just have to feel really good. Like if you have two quarterbacks that you feel comfortable starting, and you have your highest-rated recruit of all time coming in, you know, there there's certainly no no bad there. Well, I think Ritter seems to be kind of the perfect fit for how Luke Fickle likes playing football. And I, I guess I want to ask you, it's been more of a ground and pound type offense the last the first few seasons of Luke Fickle's tenure with Cincinnati. Is that more of, and you just said also he's, he's been greatly influenced by Jim Tressel. And Jim, Jim Tressel was very similar, right? It's not necessarily the flashy uh, Big 12 style offense where the ball's whipping around all over the field. Is this ideally the type of offense he wants to play, where it's it's very much of a focus on playing excellent, stout defense, and on offense, we're not going to beat ourselves. We're going to run the ball. We're going to run it down your throat. And in that in that world, Desmond Ritter makes a lot of sense, and then eventually Evan Prater as well. Yeah, and I think that is, you know, that's kind of the style Fickle's always going to have on offense. I do think they'd like to throw it more and better than they have the past two years. I think some of that is, uh, the wide receiver room, um, which is, has struggled a little bit. And I think they've really kind of remade here in the past two years. I mean, if you look at what they've done in terms of bringing in recruits and transfers as wide receivers, it's pretty remarkable how much that's changed just in two off seasons. So if they can up that level of play a little bit, maybe get a little bit better offensive line play than they had last year. I think that was a big part of all of some of their offensive issues last season. Um, and, and honestly, I think they want Desmond to take a step forward, especially passing the ball. I think they expected that last year and, and he expected that and they didn't get it to the degree that they had hoped. So while they're never going to be like a UCF, you know, big 12 school slinging it around 50, 60 times a game, that's never who they're going to be under fickle. I do think they want to throw it more and better than they have the past couple seasons, but you're right. I mean, they're, they're set up to, you know, beat you on defense and control the game on offense, whether that's controlling the clock or controlling field position with James Smith um, and just not beating themselves in that regard. They want to take more shots. They want to throw it a little bit better than they have, but it's it's never going to be kind of a whip around like that. And, and they've catered their, their offense to that. I don't think that um, – I think Ben Bryant's a better athlete than people give him credit for. I remember he, I think he had a touchdown run in that first Memphis game where he kind of pulled it on a keeper. Um, he's not a Desmond Ritter level uh, runner by any means. Uh, but I do think Ritter lends himself well to that. I, honestly, I think one of the biggest things that Fickle likes about Ritter, though, is less about his game and more just his mentality of what he's like as a, you know, a competitor, as, as a leader. Uh, and I think that was always the biggest reason why he was able to jump Hayden Moore his redshirt freshman year. And, and I think that's why he's kind of been so successful, even in games where he doesn't play well. Uh, because of how how much the team rallies around him as a as a person. So with you know with those desires that they want these players to take a step forward with the environment that we're in, 
you know, how is the football staff addressing that inability to practice, that inability to train? What what are the, some of those things that they're doing to to help those players take uh, take that leap for the next season? Yeah, I mean, in terms of training, they're just kind of doing what they have, I, I, what they can. I know they've the strength coaches and strength team has given like workouts to guys, and hey, if you have weights or access to weights in your house or wherever, like here's some workouts you can do. If you don't. All right, here's some workouts you can do, whether that's filling milk jugs with water or filling, you know, duffel bags with books or whatever, like we're going to make it work. But they also know that it's never going to be the same as what they could do on campus. So as far as a football leadership standpoint, you know, they're having these meetings, these Zoom meetings with them. I think they're able to do a little bit more from like a playbook game planning standpoint than maybe they even normally would if they had them on campus. Uh, but I think they also have to rely a lot on the leadership thing. And that's where UC's in a pretty good spot because they have a, a veteran experienced roster right now. And so whether it's guys like, you know, I, I've been told that both Ben Bryant and Desmond Ritter have, have really kind of taken a leadership role in this virtual meeting reality that we're in. Jared Dokes is another guy, James Hudson. Uh, on defense, you're talking about Derek Forrest, um, Joel DeBlanco, Ryan Royer, who's a, a walk-on linebacker, but I know he's he's big in terms of, uh, from a leadership perspective, Kobe Bryant, uh, all those guys have been huge uh, in terms of kind of keeping their position groups or their units focused and, and doing what they need to do while everyone's spread out. And that's, that's a huge benefit that UC has based on the, the roster and the culture that they built. Could the Mike Mickens departure be even more? Obviously, it's a big departure. Nobody's nobody's downplaying lose, what losing him means. But given how quickly someone like uh, Sauce Gardner adjusted to the college level, I'm sure some of that could be attributed to the coaching You know, the coaching in the secondary. Is that a potential potentially sneaky offseason departure? Given how much we expect from that group next season. I mean, it's it's a big loss. It, it's a you know. I know just from talking to people before all this happened, you know, that, that Mickens was kind of one of the up and comers in, in college football, you know, in terms of a position coach. And he goes to Notre Dame. That makes sense because he has the on-field aspect, the kind of the coaching development aspect, but he also has the recruiting side. And it's, it's so hard to find coach, good coaches that have both of those things. Um, I think they feel good about Perry Eliano. I think they feel good about, all right, it's still Marcus Freeman's defense and, sure. Marcus and, and Mickens grew up together uh, and they played high school football together. They're really good friends. So I think there's definitely kind of an understanding there. Um, and so I think that'll help in, in terms of losing Mickens, but then you're also, yeah, I mean, the, the, the talent that is in there, a lot of that was brought in by, by Marcus and Mickens. So, you know, you would hope that it's at least there right now, maybe you'll lose a little bit in terms of Mickens development, but I think they feel good about what Perry Eliano can do. And you just hope that the pieces that they still have there, it's not like they lost, all their defensive staff or something like that. Uh, so it's definitely a blow and, and I'm sure they'll feel the effects of it one way or another, but I think because of everything else they have around it, they still feel pretty good about what they're able to do with that unit. Hummer, any final Bearcats questions for Justin? Cause I do have one non Bearcat related topic. I wanted to ask you about Justin. Yeah. So we actually, we had Cameron Pern who is an NBA scout with the Sapien on last week. And we were talking some of the, the NBA draft, uh, you know, Keith Williams, we were talking about uh, Chris Vogt entering his name into the portal. We were talking Justin just or Jaron Cumberland, his his ability to, to be a draft pick. But the biggest thing, the question I had is how confident, you know, Keith Williams, 
has the ability to be a draft pick. Cameron Perm actually said that he thinks he could be a second round pick. Uh, it's kind of where he's he's starting to float. Is there still a sense from the coaching staff that Keith Williams is coming back next year? It's hard to say, especially because there's really no normal process right now. Like, it's, you know, they can't go and do team workouts and team interviews the way they normally would. Um, all I've heard is like in terms of Zoom meetings and, you know, group texts or whatever that the, the Bearcats are doing as their offseason stuff. Keith has been totally, you know, participating in all of those and, you know, functioning as a member of the team. I know he talked to both Rap and David and Julius when they were in the process of, you know, committing and, and joining the team. So he's definitely still involved. Um, we, I think I still lean towards him coming back for, for all kinds of reasons, whether it's how weird this offseason has been because of what he is in line to do from a, you know, team leader standpoint, um, you know, number one option standpoint. Uh, but I just think because of how different things are, it's hard to know exactly where guys' heads are at and, and what it'll look like. Keith obviously has NBA athletic ability and talent. Uh, I think he would stand to benefit a lot from another season working with, with John Brandon and what that could potentially do for him as a player. That doesn't always what guys make their decisions based off of, but um, just based on everything I've heard, I, I certainly still lean towards Keith coming back. Returning to college is so dependent upon the coaching staff you're returning to, and I think Cincinnati's in a position now where if you come back to our program, you're actually getting the type of coaching and you're playing in the type of system that reflects well or translates well to that next level. So I do think we have that going in our favor. But Justin, I want to kind of end things here on a question for uh, for you. You know, you're the ultimate journalist, incredibly professional. You don't drop a lot of hot takes or you know un unprofessional opinions. So I've got to ask you about the last dance. Uh, and that's because the last dance, everyone's into it. It's the, it's the one item generating content across all sports platforms at this point. But I do want to ask a journalist what you think about a documentary that is, uh, produced by Michael Jordan's company. That is uh, footage provided by Michael Jordan himself and the folks who we hired to record his final season and is clearly, uh, you know, he's the driving force behind everything that is this documentary. How do you feel about that from a uh, journalistic standpoint? It's a good question. So I am, I'm never one to like, I'll never let people dictate the type of questions I'm going to ask in an interview. Like no one can say, you can't ask about this, or can you have to send me the questions you're going to do? I'm always happy to say, here's what I want to talk about, or you know, if there's a tough topic that I want to talk about, I'll, I'll, you know, be upfront and say, yes, I would want to talk to them about this issue. Um, and they're obviously free to then say, no, thank you. Um, or I never would send someone an article before it posts and say, here's what it is, you know, go ahead and read it first. Uh, and I think that's just kind of a standard journalism thing, but there are also situations, um, where I think, you know, like, all right, if I'm going to get this kind of access to, you know, for a certain story, it wouldn't really be smart of me to use it to burn someone. Um, you know, and again, there's shades of that. If, if, if you get access to something and you see something like you just have to report that's totally egregious or something like that, I think that's one thing. Um, but I think there's a general understanding like, all right, if I'm, if I'm going to get this access, I gotta, I gotta make good use of it and make sure that I, I show that I appreciate it. And that's from like a beat reporting journalistic standpoint. I think if you're making a documentary and it's, here's this treasure trove of Michael Jordan, Chicago bulls footage that people have been trying to get their hands on for 20 years. 
And uh, the only way you're going to get it is if Michael Jordan's, you know, business partner gets its final sign off. I think you have to think long and hard about doing that. And uh, I think Jason Hare is the guy who directed this. Um, I'm guessing he has no regrets about about <laughs> making that, that trade off. No, and I don't as someone who spends all Sunday night watching it. I certainly don't blame him at all. I love watching it, too. The footage is incredible. Honestly, the interviews with Michael Jordan, it's the most candid I've ever seen him. You know, maybe minus the Hall of Fame speech when he was incredibly vindictive, but he's he's charming, he's charismatic. I mean, the way he talks about and dismisses some of these old opponents is hilarious. But it is it is funny to see kind of what's conveniently omitted from some of these stories. I mean, the Bad Boy Pistons, it's no wonder he has um, you know such bad feelings about that team because it's the one team in NBA history that has a winning record against him in the playoffs. You know, they were three and one against him. They had success and created a recipe for overcoming Michael Jordan and his talent. So um, I thought it'd be fun to ask you about that. I'm glad to hear you're enjoying it. Let me ask you this about Scottie Pippen. Underrated, overrated, uh, how do you feel about Scottie Pippen? Because I've seen some wildly uh, just off just off the chain takes on Scottie Pippen because of this documentary. Uh, I've had people just who have, you know, covered the Bulls or whatever, you know, who, who have told me that Pippen was like, Jordan's creation, you know, essentially that like, uh, you know, people who have reported and covered the bulls for years who have said, you know, Jordan basically made Pippen into what he was. I've heard the opposite that Pippen was great and is the reason, you know, Jordan was as great as he was. Uh, I think the, the best thing I've heard though, is probably like Pippen would have been the best player to guard or go against Jordan. And so, you know, yeah, I'm sure Jordan made him into a lot of what he was, you know, for them, but it was also Jordan was much better having Scottie Pippen than having to go against him. So I guess that's, that's kind of where I stand on it. Right. I'm a big proponent of Scottie Pippen. I do think, uh, look, everyone loves Michael Jordan. He's built up to this level that will never be topped and he deserves it. His game was incredible. His killer instinct is un- unparalleled, but I mean, come on, we're, we're going a little far for saying that he built and molded Scottie Pippen into exactly what he wanted to be. Guy was a top five pick, right? Like the talent was there. Right. Nobody was better designed or equipped to guard Michael Jordan, and he's better off for having him on the team. Well put. Hummer, any last parting thoughts for Justin or, or final questions? Hey, you know, LeBron would have been better off having Kawhi on his team instead of going against him. <laughs> good point. That's a damn good point, Hummer. Justin, appreciate you joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Stay safe, friend. Thanks, Thanks. fellas. Appreciate it.